minus 12 does not keep you all away. <laughs> and I love that. And I love that. It's good to be here with you this morning on this Sunday with the runway that's been laid by our spoken word, by Jared, by the day this weekend we're in. I want to share a story with you, and it starts, uh, actually it starts this experience I have sometimes on Sunday morning. It's a funny feeling I have on Sunday morning. It's a funny feeling I have up here sometimes when I'm preaching or sharing a story about being present or being mindful or lifting up some spiritual practice that I think is really important. And then I kind of weave that together with how I am with our eldest son, you know, mindful parenting. It's a funny feeling when I'm up here sharing that story with you, and then 10 minutes after I'm home from church, I find myself raising my voice at our son, or even yelling a little bit, and I wonder, who is that guy? Is that me, the one who just talked about being a non-anxious presence, the one who talked about being mindful and breathing and all of this? That can't be me. That other guy used to sit in the timeout chair and cool down. That other Justin just doesn't quite have it together in this moment. So it's a funny feeling when I think about that part of my life, right, when some anger or frustration spills out into my parenting. It's a funny feeling when I think about that part of my life sitting right next to the other parts of my life, the more public parts of my life, the Sunday morning part, if you will, and sometimes the disconnect between the different parts of myself can feel pretty big. But the truth is, is that all of that is me, all of it. And as Walt Whitman says, and I thank you, Walt, he says, I contain multitudes. We all contain multitudes. We're not one-dimensional, perfect people. And when I can name that, when I can acknowledge that sometimes I lose my temper and sometimes I raise my voice and sometimes I am a patient, loving, kind parent, then the gap between the other Justin and the Sunday morning public Justin begins to narrow. And the words negative and positive, if we even use those words, are worth the same amount. And the passion and the pain are worth the same amount, and it's all equally valuable, and I can start to catch this picture of who I am, my shadows, my gifts, my passion, my vision, all of it. I contain multitudes. We contain multitudes. We are not one thing, one mask to the world. That being said, there is a very real tension for many of us, isn't there, between what we show the world and who we are who we want to be, what we show the world, and yet something underneath is more real. And that gets further complicated, of course, by gender and skin color and sexual orientation and physical ability and economic status, religion, education, political persuasion. Ginger, you spoke about this in your call to worship this morning. She named that tension beautifully as she shares this story from her life, this one part of her identity being this nice, helpful liberal, and this other part of her identity as someone awakening to the privilege of being white and the fierce spiritual commitment that you now have to look at your life through that racial justice lens, hard as it is. 
So yes, there's a very real tension that many of us live with, a tension between what we show the world and what the world sees and who we really are and who we want to be. We can feel bifurcated. We can feel split in half. We sense that there's this public self, this perhaps public masked self who is center stage most often in our lives. And there are these other parts of ourselves behind the curtains, if you imagine a stage or just off stage or maybe in the first row of the audience in the dark wanting to emerge, to come to the center, to be reunited, to be one on the stage together. So I'm playing with this idea on the individual level, this tension between what we show the world and who we really are. But this can apply to a country or a nation as well. And on this Sunday, it's important to point out that this is exactly what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. did with much of his life and his ministry. He exposed the multiple expressions of America. He talked about the different parts of the country. He named them all. At Gross Point High School in Michigan in March of 1968, just a few weeks before his assassination, he gave a speech called The Other America. He'd given a version of this a year earlier than 1968. But in this speech, he explained, I use this title because there are literally two Americas. Every city in our country has this kind of dualism, this schizophrenia split at so many parts. And so every city ends up being two cities rather than one. We know this language, it's 50 years later and we hear this exact same language about the city of Minneapolis. The Star Tribune just had this whole best place to work and talking about what a great city Minneapolis is, what a great place to raise a family and all the culture and arts and people, how can we get more people to know it's good and stay here and it's an awesome place to be. If you're white, if you're white, but if you're a person of color, odds are your experiences here are remarkably different. In his speech, King goes on to say, there are two Americas. One, America is beautiful in situation. In this America, millions of people have the milk of prosperity and the honey of equality flowing before them. This America is the habitat of millions of people who have food and material necessities. They have culture and education. They have freedom and human dignity. But there's another America, he says. This other America has a daily ugliness about it that transforms the buoyancy of hope into the fatigue of despair. In this other America, thousands and thousands of people, men in particular, walk the streets in search of jobs that do not exist. Millions of people live in vermin-filled, distressed housing conditions. He goes on to say, so the vast majority of Negroes, and I would add Native people and others, find themselves perishing on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. powerful words 50 years ago. And this is the very struggle our country is in right now, our state is in, our city is in. For those around us, our fellow citizens who believe in the mythic United States of America, America as a place where you pull yourself up by your bootstraps, where hard work is always rewarded, where the rule of law is the same for everyone, well, this idea of the other America is infuriating and it's the fault of the people in the other America. 
Look at our politics. Look at our politics right now. One of the political candidates running for the highest office in this country wants to make America great again, which is code language for an America of the past, the America that Dr. King was trying to reshape into a more just union. But this political candidate has done a remarkable job, a brilliant job of revealing this ugly underbelly of America. An America in his telling that has been damaged by immigrants and an African American president, an America that is weak, but an America that can be made strong again. And here's the list, by banning Muslims, by building a wall on the Mexico border, by blaming immigrants and other people of color for our problems, and can be made great again, not my words, his words, by putting an angry white man in the White House. Brilliant. We're a divided country. There is a deep tension about who we are and who we aspire to be. I go back to Dr. King from this speech in 1968, and these words could be spoken this morning. He said, the fact that we have lived over these past two or three summers with agony, and we have seen our cities going up in flames, think Ferguson, think Baltimore. Well, I would be the first to say that I am still committed to militant, powerful, massive nonviolence as the most potent weapon in grappling with the problem from a direct action point of view. But it's not enough for me to stand up here, he said, and condemn riots. It would be morally irresponsible for me to do that without at the same time condemning the conditions that exist. A riot is the language of the unheard, he said. And America has failed to hear the plight of the Negro, which has worsened over the past 12, 15 years. It has failed to hear that the promises of freedom and justice have not been met. It has failed to hear that large segments of white society are more concerned about tranquility in the status quo than about justice and humanity. When Dr. King wrote from the Birmingham jail, he said that the greatest stumbling blocks toward freedom, the biggest stumbling blocks toward freedom were not the Donald Trumps of the world or the Ku Klux Klan, but the white moderate the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice. He's talking to people like me who say, I agree with the goals you seek, but I cannot agree with the method of direct action. We are still two Americas with great tension in every city across this land because justice is still delayed. I'm feeling you, church. You're heavy. I'm heavy. You've heard it. You know it. It's heavy. It's heavy. I feel you. I feel it. So let's take a breath. That's the macro level. That's the big picture level. And we live and respond in the personal, on the micro level. And so I want to ask you, you know that feeling, right, of living a divided life. Right? There's a part of you that is core to who you are that's not expressed. You know that feeling. We know the pain and the agony and the anguish that can bring. Dr. King, in his speech, paints this picture of this lonely island of poverty in this vast ocean of material wealth. But we know that lonely island on some level. If we're white, we don't know it in the same way as a person of color. But we know that experience of being in that lonely place. The lonely islands are those key parts of our identity, the critical pieces of who we are that are not always seen or recognized, and worse, they are sometimes just ignored. 
Here's what I mean. Marriage equality is the law of the land, but there are still places in Minnesota and in this country where it is not safe to reveal your true identity. And it can feel like you are on an isolated island. Or perhaps you have a different gender identity or a fluid gender identity, and there are few spaces to bring your whole self. The lonely island might be the reality of living with depression or mental illness and feeling the societal judgments and misunderstandings around what that means. Or perhaps you have a deeply depressed teen or loved one in your family, and that might be the lonely island you know. Or perhaps there's a life living in you, an identity that wants to be expressed, a real true essence of who you are, a self so different from the one that we see but you don't know how to take that mask off to say, this is who I really am, hallelujah, this is me. And so you are on this lonely island. Many of us live with this tension. Religious educator and teacher Parker Palmer says, sadly, most of us learn, I'm thinking about the students you work with, Guante, and all the issues faced there, most of us learn early on it is not safe to be in the world as who we really are, and to show what we truly value and truly believe. And so that tension creates a divided life in us, in our communities, in our country. And we know, don't we? We know how good it feels when we are no longer on that isolated island, but integrated with the whole, when our whole self can show up, be seen and known and welcomed. As Guante said earlier in that piece, there's so much that keeps us apart and so little that holds us together. But whatever that is, we're going to need it. It's going to get worse before it gets better. And it only gets better when we do better. And we only do better when we fuse together. When we come together, live divided no more. It is hard, holy work to live an undivided life. To let the spark in us come out as energy, as music, as love, as justice, as poetry, as the essence of who we are. And this faith community is a place to move toward that undivided life, to live into your fullness and to create that fullness around us. It's holy work, hard holy work, spiritual work, to live undivided lives, to take the other parts of ourselves and to welcome them home, to be proud and unashamed of all of who we are, to meet others in their fullness as well, and to know that we are beloved by the one source that holds us all. It is holy work. It is sacred work to create and live an undivided life. It is holy work to create and live in one Minneapolis. And it is holy work to create one America with opportunity and freedom and justice for all. So may that work in your hearts, in our community, in this state, may that work begin again today. Amen.